All right, good morning, Village Church. Good morning, good morning, good morning. If you are new with us, my name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here today. I have the joy to open up God's Word. Uh, so if you would open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25. We're going to start in verse 19. We'll get there in a few minutes. Um, Pop Quiz Village Church, we're in a study on the life of... Jacob, wonderful, awesome. All right, uh, I want to I ask you a question. What is your, what is your script? What is your script? Let me, let me describe for you what a script is. Your script is the version of your future that you have written in your mind and you are pursuing. Now, some of you, you type heirs, you have written out your script for your future on pen and paper, and the vast majority of you are hellbent on making sure that your script comes to fruition. So let me be like candid. I've got a lot of scripts. I've got a script for each and every one of my children. They will be like this. They will be like that. Anyone else have a script for your your children? I'm hell bent on making sure that script does come to fruition. Um, I have a script for my marriage. I have a script for my house. Like I have a three-year plan and a five-year plan and a 10-year plan for my house. I've got a script for my body. Like by the time I get in my 40s, I'm going to be shredded. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) I've got a script for everything in my life. And so, like, I think, I think if you're at least a little bit like me, you do have plans. Whether you put them in your head or put them together like that, we have scripts. And I edit my scripts a lot. Conveniently, in every edit, my future is brighter. I mean, that's just, that's so great. Uh, as we think about our lives, um, God has a script. And I, w- I want to just tell you a few things that we know about God's script uh, for our lives. Here's, here's the first one. God has a script for your future. Uh, God has an idea, a plan. It is very specific. He has got a plan and a script that he has written for your life. Now, I want to be really, really, really clear. The script that God has written for your life often is going to contradict the script you've written for your life. Wish it wasn't like that. The script that God has for your life, I just need to, I need to put this in the front end. Whatever grand ideas you have for your future, God's are always going to be better eventually. And so you, I get it. Like you have a script to prosper. You have a script to grow. You have a script for everything to be great in your life. But I'm telling you this, whatever awesome script you have, to lay it before the Lord and say, give me yours. Let me walk in that direction. It will be infinitely more beautiful and better. There's a proverb, 1921. I feel like it was written for me and people like me. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. I have a lot of purposes. I have a lot of plans. And I'm telling you, the Lord's, I can never, ever quite get away from them. Here's the second one, number two. God's script is ultimately not about me. It, it is amazing. In almost every script I write, I'm the hero. Uh, I'm going to be like this. I'm going to be like that. I'm going to win. I'm going to be, I'm going to save the day. It's going to be wonderful. Look at all the things I did. I write my legacy. I'm thinking my legacy will be about all the things that Michael did or did not do in the lives he's changed, etc. Uh, amazingly, when you actually think about your script, we're the hero. And yet in scripture, life after life after life after life, we are transitional characters in the script. 
and there is ultimately one hero, and that's Jesus. And so somehow in the script that I have, I find that God most loves to like edit my script because I'm often the hero in that dumb script, and I am not wired or capable of being the hero of my own story. Because A, I'll never be it, and B, that's not the point, and it's not the truth. And so here's what we find, that God's script, it's ultimately not about me. Number three, this should be the most obvious to all of us. I can make the journey to that future joyful or miserable. Do you ever, ever watch somebody and you're like, like, clearly I know what God is doing in your life, and they refuse to bend the knee. Like, they're just going to, I will do it my way, and they make their lives an absolute train wreck and a, and a complete mess, and, and it's like you just can't get away from God's script. But here's the deal. Between this day and that day, we do have the opportunity to create for ourselves unusual joy or unusual misery. Now, the first message in this series in Jacob is called Grappling for My future, because this in every single story in the life of Jacob, he is constantly trying to grapple and fight for something that is not his. Now, here's a definition of grappling. In hand-to-hand combat, grappling is a close fighting technique used to gain a physical advantage, such as improving relative position or causing injury to the opponent. Grappling typically does not include the use of weapons, and I love this part right here. Simply putting yourself in the dominant position. How many of you, when it comes to your future, like to be in the driver's seat and in the dominant position? Am I the only one? We have one, three, five, seven. Good. The rest of you are liars. We love, love to be in the dominant position. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, almost every script I've ever heard, they fall massively short from the script that God is going to write for your life. And, and here's how I know. Because, again, we're always the hero. And it's always for our ease. It's always for our comfort, despite the fact that it might be at the cost of someone else. And here's what I, I've learned. That I love to put myself there. And here's, here's, a, here's a principle I think that will guide us this morning. You can't change God's script for your future, but you can make your life miserable on the way there. You can do that. God had a script for Jacob's future. We're going to uncover that here in a little bit. And Jacob was a part of a larger plan that God was going to use to bless the entire world. But hear me, Jacob would grapple with anybody and anything if it stood between him and his script for the future. In the process, here's what Jacob would do. He would make his life miserable, and he would make everyone else's life who encountered him miserable in the process. And let me just let me give you a, a really quick so what. Some of you, right now, you're going to hear the story of Jacob, and you are immediately going to identify, and you are immediately going to realize you are the grappler. You are the one who is constantly pushing against God, and you are constantly trying to get dominant positions so you can secure your ideal future. And I want to just give you a huge encouragement on the front end. I could say uh, ridiculous things like stop it or grow up, but what I want to say to you is I promise you this. God has something much more beautiful for you, and even though it might be harder at first or maybe even for the rest of your life, you will never, ever, ever regret following God, ever. There will not be a single human being who gets to heaven who says, I mean, God's plan was okay, but if he just would have listened to me, like things would have worked out a lot better. Like he's smart and all, but I definitely have 
It definitely have the edge to him. All right, Genesis 25, 9, as we orient ourselves to the book of Genesis, let me help you get a, a couple things uh, in play in your head. Some of you are newer to Genesis. Some of you, it's your first time joining us. The word Genesis means beginnings. And Genesis is the story of the beginnings of the things that are the most important to God. So it's the beginning of people. It's the beginning of relationship with God from humanity between God and humanity. It is the beginning of marriage. It's the beginning of sexuality. It's the beginning of children. It's the beginning of creation. All of these things that are of high value value to God, their beginnings are told in this story. Um, There is one thing, there is one entity that is of unique importance to the heart of God. And its story begins in Genesis 12 and actually goes throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And Genesis is the story of the beginning of the nation of Israel. In fact, the nation of Israel begins with Abraham. Remember, we did a study through the life of Abraham. He's the patriarch of the Jewish people, and God plucked him out of, a na- out of Ur, a 900-mile travel journey to the east, and brought him to the promised land. And said, I'm going I'm to start a nation, and, and through you, I'm going to change the world. We're going to bless the world through you, Abraham. Pop quiz, who was the seed of Abraham that would bless the entire world? His name was Jesus, that's good. I mean, the answers, I'm going to give you simple answers. It's church. It's going to be Jesus. You're going to be fine. Jesus, right? Uh, And so here's what happens. Abraham, his job was to create a nation, and this nation was going to happen through his progeny, through his offspring. Abraham had, who is his son? His name was Isaac. And Isaac took the promises of God to Abraham. He owned them personally, and Isaac would hand off the promises of God to the next generation, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Genesis 25, we're getting out of the birth of Jacob, and we're starting a series on his, on his life. And so here's what we know. God had a future. He had a plan for Jacob. Here's, what, here's the plan. <clears throat> Jacob's big script, his big, big purpose, is that through his 12 children, there would be 12 tribes or functional states of Israel, and this is how the organization of this nation was going to be implemented. Jacob had a big job, and part of his job is to have a lot of children. Genesis chapter 25, verse 19, there's two stories that are going to give us kind of an introduction to Jacob. Let's go to verse 19 here. Here's what it says. There, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. That's redundant, but now you know. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. By the way, there was a 20-year gap between when they got married and when they were able to conceive. Verse 22, the children struggled together within her. And she said, if, this, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she's hoping for a kid, right? And then she ends up having twins. Ha, surprise. Like, and she's experiencing some kind of battle inside of her. Now, I don't know if you've ever had twins. Rumor has it, that's a lot of work, right? Our, uh, I think Brianne's aunt, she had twins and then she had triplets, like, God bless you, you're amazing. I know, every service, first service, like, whoa. Every mom in the room is like, oh, no. And the dad's like, we're going broke. Like, that is not happening. (laughs) 
So here's what she does. There's a struggle. There's something happening inside of her. Obviously, the moms of her day knew this wasn't normal. So she goes to the Lord and says this. So she went to inquire of the Lord. In verse 23, I think it's just this amazing, deep verse that I just want to camp out on with you for a while because it is so full and rich. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So these two boys are Jacob and Esau, twin brothers. Now Esau would come out first. And in this prophecy, in this promise, here's what we learn. The younger is actually going to be stronger than the older. And the older, this is totally counterintuitive to everything cultural of that day, the older was actually going to serve the younger. Now, I want to just stop and I want to just, I want to meditate on this for a while because there are a handful of really amazing deep truths about scripts and plans that we can see in this text. Here's, here's the first one. So you and I, we live in a world of endless possibilities, open futures. Like you're going to leave here today and there are so many possibilities that could happen before now and the time you lay your head to rest at night. Like you could walk out of these doors, somebody you love could die, you could have the best meal you've ever had in your entire life, you might get an incredible gift, you might get a terrible diagnosis. Like you have no idea what is going to happen. And so we make decisions, and we're thinking, in one sense, it's true that our decisions are impacting and and all of our futures feel open to a degree, but from the divine perspective, I want to be really crystal with you, um, our futures are not that open. Like, God knows exactly what is going to happen. God doesn't live in a world of endless future possibilities. The Lord knows exactly what he is doing. And I just love this. There are two boys. And each one of these boys, the Lord has a very specific script for each one of them. To the point where God has predetermined, right, that each one of these kids are going to grow into and represent nations that are going to have a huge impact on the world. Here's number two. You may not know God's script for your children, but I want you to remember this prophecy came to a mother, and mothers love their children. Amen, moms, right? And you want to know God's future for your children, do you not? As long as it's your future for your children, we really want to know it. But here's this. Be certain that God has a script for every single child. I just love this. Like, every child, God has a unique script because he loves them. He did not make any child arbitrarily or randomly or accidentally or haphazardly. Like the Lord is so detailed. And so I love this. I've got three little kids and there is a will of God on their life. There is a script that God has designed them for a beautiful purpose. And and I get to kind of just try to help them figure this out and walk into it. And my hope is they don't grapple with God in the process, that they see the heart and the mind of God, that it is good, and they follow his will rather than being a Jacob and grappling. But I want to come back to this point again, number three. God is up to something bigger than these two brothers, is he not? And when I get to my children and I think about my little kids, like, like it's not ultimately about my children. It is about something bigger than them. They are going to be transitional characters in the story and the script that God is writing. And I want them to not make their life and everyone else's life miserable in the process. Here's number four. Every promise, every script that turns out for your joy will come with corresponding difficulty. 
Uh, I'm going to give you a statistical percentage that I'm going to make up on the spot. 99.73% of all the great things that God has for you in your future are going to come with a corresponding difficulty. And I'll share with you just a few examples. This happens all over the pages of Scripture. You have enslaved Israelites in Egypt. What do they want? They want their freedom. They want vengeance against Egyptians, and they want their own land. And so God says, all right, you're free. What are the corresponding difficulties that come with that? The Red Sea, Egyptians sending them down, 40 years in the wilderness, and by the way, you're all going to die before you get into the land. The wilderness Israelites, they're sitting in there, and then God's like, I've given you this land. It's going to be amazing. I want you to go into the land. It's going to be yours, this great blessing, this great promise. What a beautiful script. I'll take a whole nation. What were their ensuing difficulties? Evil, evil, evil Canaanites. Battles, death, testing, the loss of husbands and children, left and right. Every blessing has a corresponding difficulty. David, you're going to be king. He's like, what, 13 years old, something like that. David's going to be the king of the nation of Israel. Now, this is a huge responsibility. So what are, what are some of the corresponding difficulties? Spears, attempted murder, fleeing for his life for 10 years in the wilderness, heartache, betrayal, and every single one of his children ultimately failing in their relationship with God. Like every, every blessing in front of you is going to have a corresponding difficulty. I know that Americans love and we say health, wealth, and prosperity. God wants to give you. That's just not true. It's just not true over and over and over again. Here's what is true. When there are good things, there's corresponding difficulties. Jesus says, I will build my church. Go, make disciples. I'm going to bless you. My church is going to get big. It's going to be awesome. I don't mean my, I mean like the global church over the last 2,000 years. What are the ensuing difficulties? Martyrdom, beheadings, like, do we go on and on and on? Death, death, bloodshed, death, bloodshed. Every great thing that God is going to do, every great blessing in your life is going to come with a corresponding difficulty. If it's easy, we take it for granted, is it not? If it's easy, we become entitled. If it's easy, we don't need God. I think this is why God does that. God, yes, he's got a script and he's got a plan, but if it was easy, we'd just walk into it and we would ignore him for the rest of our lives. For Jacob, Esau was going to be his test. And for Jacob, Esau and his temperament are going to push him and his character to the limits. And here's the question. Will Jacob stop fighting God? That's going to be the question. We're going to give you a few weeks before we get there. Verse 24. The story goes on. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. Wow, it's like the Lord knows what he's talking about. The first came out red. I don't think he's Irish. Put it out there. All his body like a hairy cloak. I, I don't know. I've never seen any human this hairy before, so I really do want to know what that looked like. So they called his name Esau. We're going to get into future sermons, names and meanings, etc. Afterward, his brother came out, love this, with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name is called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. And here's what the author is doing for you. The author is setting the stage for the character, for the heart of the man. And here's what the author wants you to know. Um, Jacob was a grappler before he was born. In the womb. Here's the idea. Here's Esau, like, gestating. Like, I'm just trying to, like, grow, right? 
And then Jacob is like, no, stop growing so fast. No, not. like even in the womb, you have this feisty spirit. And then they're born and Esau's like, oh, I guess I'm going first. And Jacob's like, no, I want to go first, right? Like he, even from the time he can even think he is a grappler, like everything in this kid is wired to fight and to resist whatever God's will is. By the way, it never goes well for him, ever. Like, nobody reads the life of Jacob and they're like, I want that life. Like, that's not how it works. There's a second story. It begins in chapter 27, and, and the author literally fast-forwards you to the time when these boys, these little babies, are now grown men and they are adults. Here's what verse 27 says. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Okay, have you ever just seen two siblings? And you cannot believe that they both came out of the same womb with the same mom and dad, right? I've got three older brothers, and I am struck by the differences. I'm going to pick on two of them. They're not here. They have no control over me right now. So I'm going to, everything I'm going to say is nice. But I want to tell you about um, two of my brothers, the second and third fueling boys. Daniel is the first one. Let me describe Dan for you. Dan is quiet, funny, reserved, an engineer, has a few really good friends, loyal, loves building complex things, can fix anything, most importantly, full head of hair. <laughs> David is right next to him. David is my oldest brother, just I'm the youngest, so one above me. David, same mom and dad, by the way, so I'm told, so I'm pretty sure that's what's going on here. David is louder, intense, sarcastic in a really funny way, really likes to debate, competitive, hard on his sleeve, entrepreneur, has lots of friends, loves get building companies, bald. How did these two, like when I, we're at family outings, they are so, so different. But let me tell you, those two brothers could fight like no one's business. Perka being the youngest child, you watch the older morons make all the mistakes, and then you say, not going to do that. I'm going to be better than them. ha, ha. But the funny thing is, these differences, they are God-ordained and God-infused. And it's interesting how even the things, when you think about your siblings, right, um, these things that God has put inside of them can make you loathe them and despise them. Isn't that interesting? Nobody brings out your worst, and I would say few people bring out your best, like your siblings. And this is what we're going to find. Jacob and Esau would bring out the absolute worst in each other. Verse 28 gives us this insight into family dysfunction. Here's what it says. Isaac loved Esau because he, because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. All right, listen, moms and dads, don't do that. This is so stupid. This is so frustrating. When you have a dad who's like, two kids, like you, don't like you, you give me food I like to eat, not you. Like, this is going to do a number on your children. Intuitively, we know this. You don't need a psychologist to tell us this. Uh, the word loved here is ahavats, this Greek word that describes the knitting together of souls. It is this brotherly love, affection, committed kind of love. Uh, in short, it means they're the favorite. And so this is a really weird, demented thing that the author wants you to know because this singular reality is actually going to form these two young men in very powerful ways. Verse 29, it goes on and says, Once, 
when Jacob was cooking stew, my guess, I'm going to go probably mostly vegetarian. He's a hunter-gatherer, right? And so he's cooking the stew, and, and it says this. Esau came in from the field. He was exhausted. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew. Literally, can I have just a sip or a swallow? Like he's not asking for a whole bowl. That's all he's asking for. And he says this, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name is called Edom, which sounds like red because the soup is red. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Couple, couple things. Number one, what does a birthright represent? Uh, a birthright represents favor, blessing, money, property, the vast majority of your father's wealth. It represents a lot. I mean, from the very beginning, Jacob is wanting to be first. The birthright typically should go to the firstborn. The birthright also represents the favor and the blessing and the love of the father. This, this is a powerful, powerful thing. And so here's what he wants. He wants Esau's future. He wants something that was not probably intended for him. And so in Esau's desperation, I want you to notice this, um, Esau is literally going to be willing to give up a very, very profitable birthright. But look at Jacob. The idea in the text here is that Jacob is a conniver, and he has been waiting. Like, he doesn't even have to think. He has been waiting for a time to exploit his brother and to take all of his wealth. This is pathetic and low, and I want you to hear me. Once a transaction of this nature happens, relationship over forever. Esau says, I am about to die of what use is a birthright to me. First of all, he's not going to die. So dumb. I don't know if you've been watching the news, but a bunch of people have tripped and fallen off the Grand Canyon. I don't want to die that way at all. Like, I want to die for Jesus. He's not going to die like this. He's not going to die because he went out hunting and he was tired. Like, that's not going to happen. So this is dramatic. This is emotional. He's desperate. And we always say at Village Church, desperate people do dumb things. I'm about to die. Of what use is my birthright to me? So there are going to be characters in the Bible who uniquely grind your soul. Esau is that guy. Like there's a a phrase that I love. It's become like a personal value of mine. And the phrase is play the long game. And, uh, I think it is so smart to think about the future. If, if, if a little bit of suffering now gives me more joy in the future, why would I not play the long game? People who don't play the long game stress me out. I'm reading him, and I'm like, literally, for some vegetables, I'm sorry, lentils are legumes. My apologies. It even sounds dumb. It's like, you're literally, for a legume, going to give up your birthright. This is ridiculous. So verse 33, Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. Wow. And he ate and drank and he rose and he went away. I I think this is the most interesting line. And he ate and he drank and he went on his way. Like the way the text just is like, he goes back to his life, but here's the deal. He 
It despises his birthright and his brother from that day on. It is going to take a miracle of God-sized proportions to bring these brothers back together. And the irony, the irony is that the wild game carnivore Esau sold it all for legumes. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. So we're going to pause the family drama for this week. I'm going to come back week after week. You're going to watch this family and Jacob grapple and grapple. It's a very frustrating story. It's frustrating largely because when you read about these Old Testament saints, isn't there this piece of you that wants them and expects them to be heroes from the beginning? And every one of them, you read their story and they're doing one dumb thing after another after another. Like some people are like, I'd love to be in the Bible and for God to tell my story. Let me tell you what would happen if God told your story. He would not pluck out all the greatest things you did. He would find your worst errors and your deepest sins, and then he would find random, obscure stories that told that narrative. And then at the end of your life, you'd be like, oh yeah, and he did this. By the way, Jesus is the hero. They're not. Like you don't want your story in the Bible unless you're Jesus or like one or two other small characters. That's not going to happen. Now, as we finish here, I want to come back um, to the. I want to come back to where we started. I want to remind you of just three simple things as we close. Number one, God has a script for your future. I can't tell you how it's going to pan out. Sometimes I feel like the game Super Mario Brothers, you know, it's like constantly moving forward, but you can never move back. Remember that old Super Mario Brothers from like 1984 or 5 or whatever? You're playing it, but you can never go back, but it's constantly marching forward. Or those movies where you're in a room and the wall just keeps pushing you forward and forward and you can't get away from it. Like the plan of God is moving. But in the process, as the plan of God marches forward, oh my goodness, we have abilities to do incredibly ridiculous things, to bring much joy or much misery. But here's the deal. God has a plan. I'll share with you something that I've been really pondering over the last probably month or so. Um, What I've learned, uh, the scripter and the dreamer that I am, is that so many of God's plans for me have been reined in through limitations. So let me share like a few limitations that I would have. Um, Elliot, 10 years old. Avia, 8 years old. Elias, 6 years old. Brienne, probably 28 or 29 years old is what I'm guessing right now. We're good there. Um, My body, right? My temperament, my personality. There are all of these realities in my life that are good but they are limiters. And so I have this, uh, this, this dream. I want to go travel the world. Well, guess what? Um, my family has a limitation, and that is God's way of saying, nope, not going to happen. Um, I want to go run a marathon. Nope, you're 40 pounds too overweight, and uh, never going to happen. Uh, uh, I want to, you name it. I want to go long jump. Nope, you, are, you couldn't jump when you were skinny and fast. Like, you're never going to be a long, like, limitations reign us in. And I just found in my life that God has brought so many limitations. And as I, as I stay within the limitations that he's given to me, and I honor those things, and I, and I try to submit to what I see in the word of God and what the people of God around me are saying, I find myself moving forward. My challenge is I want more details and I want my script. But every day I'm finding that one of the things I have to do is say, God, your script is infinitely better. I'm going to put it aside. I understand this is what I want, but yours is better. Even though this looks better now, I'm going to believe you that whatever you have in store for me is going to be better. So I lay, I lay this aside. Number two, God's script is ultimately not about you. I think one of the marks of maturity is we, we learn that we are not the hero. If you get the privilege to counsel somebody, you're not the hero in the room. 
You get the privilege to preach, you're not the hero. You get the privilege to parent, you're not the hero. Anytime we make ourselves the hero, we take Jesus' place, he is the hero. He is the one that it's all about. And so I, I lay aside my script. I lay aside my need to be the hero in the script. And finally, number three is you, you can make the journey to that future joyful or miserable. I, I am, again, dumbfounded at how unnecessarily difficult I have made certain seasons of my life. And the, the plan and script of God marched forward, but I just made it unnecessarily difficult. God is going to get what he's going to get. He's going to do what he's going to do. The end that he has decreed is going to happen. How I get there, that's a totally different story. And I'm, I'm a fan of not making my life any more miserable than it needs to be. And so here, here's just a good word for every one of us. You don't need to do that. Follow the Lord. And when he puts limitations on your life, and don't push past them. Follow the Lord where he puts you. Follow the Lord where he's moving. Follow the Lord into his script. Now, some of you are going to say, well, how do I know what the script of the Lord is? Okay, that would be an individual sermon and multiple hours of counseling with every individual in this room. I can't do that. You have the spirit and the body of Christ and friends and a word, the word of God. Like, there, there's some like, gut-wrenching hard work that each one of us as followers of Christ need to do. Uh, what I can do is tell you this. The moment you have an idea what that script is, do not be a Jacob and do not be a grappler. Bend the knee. Don't try to take the dominant position in your grappling match with the Lord. Follow him. And I promise you this, when you die, you will look over your life and you will never, ever, ever regret following Jesus Christ. We all know a Jacob, don't we? Some of you, you are in this room and you have been grappling with the idea of God uh, the idea of a crucified, risen Jesus. Um, in fact, it is not uncommon that I meet people who believe in their head, but they will not trust in Jesus because they know that if they do, they will have to put their script aside and buy into whatever script God might have for them. And most people are pretty certain of this. God's script is usually really different than the ones we write. And we've written some really good scripts for our lives, haven't we? Like, I've written some awesome stories. But here's what I find. God's is better. And there are some of you, like, you know, and the one thing standing between you and really, really following Christ, becoming a, a, a Christian, trusting in Jesus, is your script. It is one of the most common, common reasons people will not follow Jesus. Some of you, you have trusted in Christ, and you are Jacob's as well. You know what God wants. Like, you love the whole salvation, forgiveness of sins, gives me the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, as long as it's consistent with your script for your life. And there are a whole bunch of, you know who you are. You know, like the Holy Spirit inside of you right now is saying, you're a Jacob, you're a grappler, you know exactly who you are. And the Word from God is stop fighting. Go in the submissive position, not the dominant position. You do not know what is best for your life. My script is always better. Here's the word, repent, stop grappling with the Lord. You're making your life and everyone else's life around you miserably difficult. Please come before the Lord and stop. And whether you're the Christian grappler or the non-Christian grappler, the answer, the, the, the solution, it's all the same. It's Jesus. 
you come back to him and you say, you're the hero. I will follow you. I will go wherever you want. I will lay aside my script. This is, by the way, the secret to maturity, to joyful Christianity, to living a life where you're not crushed by all the ebbs and flows and ups and downs as you go before the Lord and say, I can't control all the things that are going to come at me in my life, but here's what I can say. I know following you is going to be best, and I'm going to honor you and give you glory no matter what script you put in front of me. And so here's what we do at Village Church. We come to the communion table most every week. And the reason we do this is because whether you are the grappler who doesn't trust in Christ yet, or you are the Christian grappler, or you are the one who's about to be grappling, or you used to be grappling, every one of us, this is what we need. If you've never trusted in Christ, here's what Jesus offers every grappler in the world. Here's what he offers you. Forgiveness. Let me just give you like a maybe a different insight into why this is so necessary. If you were to go before a judge and uh, you were to disobey all the laws that they gave you and say, I don't care what you have to say, I'm going to go do my own thing, you'd be called a rebel, you'd be starting a coup, you'd be a lawbreaker, right? How much more the king of the universe who designed and created you and he gives you a script for your life and you say to him, I'm going to do what I want to do. I mean, you're smart and all, but I'm smarter. I'm going to do my script, right? It's called rebellion. It's called throwing a coup. And it's way worse when you do it with the God of the universe than it is when you do it with a judge. And so here's what happens. Jesus so mercifully and lovingly offers us something. Now, if you've been at Village for a while, I say, there's like maybe 10 or 11 things that I say over and over again, like every other week. And so I'm just going to bore you and say it again. Here's your options. Jesus pays for your sins or you pay for your sins. There is no third option. And so we, we, everyone, me, Michael Fueling, all of you, rebels who are pushing against the script of God, and, and, and all of us need the exact same thing. God will deal with our sin, and Jesus in his mercy has basically said, here's the options. You can pay for it, or I will do it for you. And so I just want to come before all of us as we look at Jacob, and here's what we realize. Jacob is a mirror to our own hearts. Jacob's story is our story. It's my story. It's your story. We are grapplers. We, are, we, we look at the future that God has for us and we say, I think I could do better. I'll do this one on my own. And Jesus has come for every single grappling rebel in this room. And so some of you, if you're newer with us, communion can be a little confusing. I want to just uh, throw you a bone and help you figure out what we do here. Um, if you have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was raised again and is coming back. If you believe salvation is not earned by being good, but that Jesus was good for you, I don't care what church you go to. What binds us together is far more beautiful and powerful than our small church buildings. I want to invite you to partake of communion with us. Uh, Some of you have kids in the room, and we always tell parents, um, we're not going to judge you with how you handle your kids in communion. The only thing that we ask is that if your kids have trusted in Jesus, then I want to invite you to let them partake of communion. Some of you are here and you have not trusted in Christ. Maybe you were dragged here. Maybe you're curious. Maybe you're seeking. And here's my simple ask of you. When the elements come by, my ask of you is that you would not partake if you haven't trusted in Christ. The reason I say that is not because we want to make you look bad or stick out. To be honest, nobody will pay attention. But the reason we say this is because when you partake of these elements, the Bible teaches that this partaking is a declaration. It's a declaration of personal belief. 
And if you don't believe, there is literally no reason to lie and you have nothing to prove in this room. We are truly just glad you're here and maybe your next step is not taking communion or trusting in Christ, but you need to sit down and process and and get a lot of questions that you have answered. So here's how we do it. Um, In a moment, we're going to have a time of silence. It's an opportunity for you to talk to God, to pray, to confess, to thank him. Um, When that time's over, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song and worship together. And while that's happening, the ushers are going to hand out the elements. And if you would do us a favor as they hand out the elements, would you just hold on to them until the end of the song? At the end of the song, we're all going to partake together as a symbol of our unity in Jesus. So let's have some time of silence and talk to God alone.